This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Earlier this summer, Governor Jim Justice announced he was receiving treatment for Lyme disease, heightening attention around tick-borne illnesses in the state. But what is it all about? If you get bitten by a tick and you and it's attached for a long period of time, months, anywhere from one month to three months to six months, a person can have long-term effects or Lyme disease. That story and more this West Virginia morning. But first, we have a quick note about one of our own. Last night at the Mountain Stage Show featuring Sophie B. Hawkins was about to begin. Charleston Mayor Amy Schuler Goodwin had something to say. She presented Adam Harris, the show's producer, with the key to the city of Charleston. The mayor recognized Adam for his 17 years of work producing Mountain Stage, introducing Charleston and the entire state of West Virginia to the world. The award noted that Adam was also that Adam also personally fostered more than 100 kittens. Through his love of professional wrestling, he also introduced a whole new generation to the sport. The certificate says every day you take the time to brighten the lives of those around you and continually share your love of the capital city through your work. We agree with the mayor and want to congratulate Adam Harris for this honor. Kentucky has recovered a $15 million investment into a failed aluminum mill in Ashland. The land was also part of the project that will be donated back to the local communities to be used for future economic development opportunities. The so-called Brady Project was a deal made by former Governor Matt Bevin that failed to materialize. Jeff Knoll is the Kentucky Cabinet Secretary for Economic Development. He says they worked on what he calls a win-win scenario. 205 acres with a 100,000 square foot building is going to be donated back to the industrial authority for free. But there's also some additional land and buildings that Unity acquired separate from what the authority did in that transaction. We have an agreement in principle to basically sell that land back for less than what Unity paid for it. The state's investment has been returned to the Commonwealth Seed Capital. That group will now send the dollars to the Kentucky Economic Development Finance Authority. A local car dealer is making a significant contribution to multiple West Virginia schools and the United Way. The Ball Toyota family of dealerships will donate more than $300,000 to provide basic needs, including food, clothing, and hygiene products, to students in need. The funds will support virtual pantries in 257 schools in West Virginia. The dealerships will also donate $50,000 to West Virginia Institute of Technology in Beckley and an additional $30,000 to Marshall University. Sean Ball, president of Ball Toyota, says his experience growing up in Boone County showed him families in need, and he wanted to bring support to families in need. The company will make the presentation on Tuesday. On Tuesday, West Virginia's Supreme Court will hear arguments on the appeal to lift the permanent injunction on the Hope Scholarship Program. Randy Yowie previews a case that he has left about 3,000 families in educational limbo. 
In July, Kanawha County Circuit Judge Joanna Tabbitt determined a state program that offers state funding for private education violates several constitutional provisions. She ordered an injunction. Hope scholarships would have given about $4,300 per student to pursue non-public school education. Attorney Joshua House represents two families who are counting on the Hope money. He says the funding comes from accounts not earmarked for public education. This money just goes into an account that you can spend on anything. It's not coming at the expense of public schools. In fact, like I said, you can actually use the HOPE program on public schools. Uh, and so, uh, you know, really the HOPE program is about providing options. Tamarin Godley is the lead attorney for the many groups, including the state board and Department of Education, opposing what they call a voucher program. She says West Virginia's Constitution clearly states the children of West Virginia will be educated using public funds. Nothing about funding private education, no matter from which state account. This is using public money to um, pay for private school expenditures. You can't do it. It's, it's, it's the same thing as if we tried to set up tuition schools. We'll give you $4,300 in an account, and then you can go pay for whatever you want for private school expenditures. So it is a voucher. House argues that families can use the HOPE scholarship funds to supplement private education by paying to get public school extras. You can pay for one-off courses from a public school, maybe a public school that you're not in the district for. You can homeschool and purchase curriculum uh, from either public schools or from private schools or online providers. Godley says the state is obligated to offer students a core education plus special needs for free, not pay money out, then take it back for something partial. It's not like, oh, this is money where you can go to the public school and then pay for extras. You can either go to the public school or get $4,300. And when that $4,300 runs out, sorry, oops, you didn't get your full education. Godley says many private schools have a religious base that would exclude LGBTQ plus students. Many of the schools have um, creeds and a different policies by which students have to agree to certain things. And many, in fact, most of those schools would not accept a student that was openly gay. Private schools have less resources and provide less services for special needs students. It's commonly understood. House says public schools do not provide some special need options that hope scholarship money could pay for. The statute actually includes things like what's called occupational therapies, so things like speech therapies. It's simply not the case that these accounts are going to be used to funnel money to, uh, to schools that somehow fall short. Supreme Court of Appeals judges will listen to both sides' arguments, deliberate among themselves, and issue a ruling. The case has been expedited, but there's no timetable on when that Hope Scholarship injunction ruling might come. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills at 7.51. Areas of fog this morning becoming partly sunny today. High temperatures in the 50s and 60s. Partly cloudy overnight. There's a slight chance of rain in the east. Lows in the 30s and 40s. Tomorrow, mostly sunny with highs in the 50s and 60s. 
Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Torres Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TorresSaveAlaw.com. Earlier this summer, Governor Jim Justice announced that he was receiving treatment for Lyme disease, heightening attention around tick-borne illnesses in the state. Despite the recent drop in temperature, West Virginians are still at risk for tick bites. Reporter Chris Schultz sat down with State Health Officer Dr. An Amjad to discuss tick safety and prevention. Dr. Amjad, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I want to start off by just asking you, when we talk about tick-borne illnesses, what exactly is it that we're referring to? There's a long period when we're susceptible to ticks, anywhere from March to December, which is pretty much the whole year. But I think on top of that, you know, it's when patients present with symptoms, which can be 30 days to a couple of months afterwards, which might be why we kind of see this pattern. Is it worse during the spring or the summer? But I think that's part of it. Um, Lyme disease is more common in our eastern panhandle, close to Maryland. Um, Maryland is also one of the hotspot states that have um, tick-borne illnesses. But if we see anything um, common, it would probably be um, Lyme disease as far as tick-borne illnesses go. Why is Lyme disease a particular concern? It's the long-term effects of Lyme disease. So if you get bitten by a tick and and it's attached for a long period of time and not treated with antibiotics appropriately right away, Several months, anywhere from one month to three months to six months, a person can have long-term effects or Lyme disease. So it can cause a sequence of reactions that um, can affect your health. And, you know, joint pain, some people have cardiac problems, um, chronic fatigue. So there are just things like that that it can have long-lasting effects on someone. Governor Justice had a Lyme disease scare over the summer. Um, can you tell us how he's doing now? He's doing well. I mean, and I think he was treated appropriately right away with antibiotics, so that helps. And so I think anytime you suspect Lyme disease or, or see a tick and you remove it and it was attached longer than 24 hours, is to get treated right away so that you don't have those side effects later, a couple of weeks or months later. So what preventions can people take against ticks? You need to put on bug spray when you go outside. Um, you know, it can be, and a lot of people don't like the old ones, you know, it has DEET in it or permethrin, but you can get natural ones as well. Definitely stay on trails, try not to go in the shrubs too much. But if you do, I always wear a hat because, you know, it can get into your hair easily. Um, it also gets on pets as well. So definitely check your pets when they get back in. But definitely wearing um, bug screen, um, wearing light, light colored clothing helps a little bit better because then you can see if there's something sticking on you. After you've gone out, let's say for a hike or somewhere where it's possible that there are ticks and even deer, you know, if you see deer a lot, I would assume there could be ticks around as well. Definitely when you come back in, check your hair, um, check any um, areas that the ticks could have been sometimes behind the the knees, armpits, you know, they tend to go in little crevices and hide um, and take a shower right away. Um, Yeah, definitely check your pets. I mean, my pet, my dog has had little ticks on it just by going in a a yard that's not even that brushy. So, What if the preventions fail? What then? If someone has a tick bite or, or finds a tick on them? I would say if you find a tick on you and you remove it, 
to let your physician know because your symptoms might show up till three days, seven days, one month later. And by then you've kind of missed that window for treatment. So most physicians or healthcare providers will say, if you were, if you saw it and removed it right away and it did bite you, you don't need treatment. Watch for symptoms such as fever, rash, fatigue, almost like flu-like symptoms, but there's a window of opportunity for treatment. So I would recommend any patient who finds a tick on them just to go ahead and let their healthcare provider know. So that say you call back in a few days, or maybe they do want to pre-treat you, you know, or do some blood tests on you. It's better to know ahead of time than three, five days later. CDC data shows us that visits to emergency departments for tick bites tend to spike at the end of spring, early summer, and then again, right around now at the start of fall. Do you have any idea why that might be? I have not seen that chart that you're talking about, but if the peaks are towards, you said the end of summer and then beginning of fall, I would think that it's because summer starts, more people are going outside. Keep in mind, you know, that time, March to December of tick season, is it's really, like I said, it's this whole year, so it doesn't make any sense. But I would think that's why we're seeing those um, spikes, that you, as you mentioned, because summertime, everyone's rushing out, going out. Maybe it's not too hot yet, or maybe they don't see bugs, so they're not spraying themselves. Same thing in the fall. We tend to think it's a little cooler outside. Today it's cool. Maybe I don't need bug spray. I don't see bugs, you know, flying on me like I would normally, so they probably don't do it. So I would think that's why we're seeing these spikes. Dr. Amjad, is there anything else you think the public should know about ticks and tick-borne illnesses? No, I just want to remind people to check their pets, and I'll say dogs because I have dogs. Um, because, you know, we don't, we live in a populated area, but we still see deer a lot. And, you know, the, the, the grass is not high, but the dog somehow still gets ticks on it in their ears or behind and stuff. So I would just remind people to check their pets, too, because pets can get sick from it the same way, you know, have joint pains and just problems later. And then, but I would just remind people to check their fur babies. That was State Health Officer Dr. An Amjad speaking with reporter Chris Schultz about the risk of tick-borne illnesses in the state. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning. <laughs>